we seem to be in a golden age of filmed streaming fantasy projects. And uh, my first question for you, Brian Cogman, is how much of that is just completely down to you? To me personally, all of it. I mean, you have me to thank, world. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, number 839, Shakespeare and Fantasy. For this first episode of 2023, I'm looking back to one of the most ballyhooed shows of 2022, The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. Brian Cogman was a consulting producer on that show when it began, but prior to that, he was a writer and co-executive producer on a little show called Game of Thrones. In a conversation recorded before the holidays, Brian talked to me about his work in televised fantasy and how it's informed by his training as an actor, by Shakespeare, and by, spoiler alert, reduced Shakespeare. Our show wouldn't have been possible without a kind of resurgence in big, epic, kind of um, across-all-the-quadrant fantasy that really the Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter movies both kind of delivered on in around 2001, you know? Right. Um, I think that kind of, that, because, you know, up until that point, kind of big fantasy wasn't even, it, it, even in films, wasn't hadn't been around for a while. It had been kind of relegated to either Xena, which, you know, I'm not knocking Xena at all, but it was that kind of thing or the sort of, um, the sort of cult sword and sorcery epics that I grew up with in the 80s. But, but those were never as, you know, those weren't getting Best Picture Oscars or doing the kinds of numbers that, say, Harry Potter did. So I think those two franchises, I think, got a mass audience sort of back into fantasy and it became uh, less of a niche culty thing, arguably. And then our show sort of, I think I think it was just um, answering an appetite for for taking that and kind of putting the the HBO, you know, premium adult filter through it you know and george's books were perfect you know were perfect material to um to satisfy that that kind of need and to and to adapt you know to i mean now when when we were doing the show you know the idea that hbo was doing a fantasy series at first was crazy i mean everybody was confused i remember the new york times review was most of the new york times review of our first season was just bafflement that hbo was making a show at all i i i almost think she's like they're not they're not listening they're not fulfilling their mandate as the you know quality television channel <laughs> and referencing you know important shows like the wire and the sopranos and stuff and what are, what are they doing with these dragons and ice zombies and, and everything so um yeah and now i think i think it's yes it's popularity and uh thrones popularity then sort of gave way to all kinds of imitators and uh uh, shows answering it and then it's coming it came full circle with lord of the rings being then ordered as a television series so now it's an embarrassment in bridges i mean if you're a fantasy fan it is a, a wonderful time to be alive even if you don't like the our show of if you don't like lord of the rings if you don't like game of thrones if you don't like the new house of the dragon there's 30 other options they really all, are yeah. well, and, and they're did... all you know they're all they're all quality i mean they're all like they're given real budgets and they're real actors and you know it's 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 really exciting i think um but it is 
it's funny to it's funny to think that only about a little over 10 years ago that this was not the norm you know so that's why i say we we, we probably ruined television in some way but you know well, everybody's. I mean, the only feel the only way it feels like it's possibly ruined is everybody's grabbing for popular across the quadrant IP. You know. Yeah, yeah. I think, funnily enough, some of the, you know, the our show becoming a blockbuster and having to kind of deliver on its blockbuster status in its final seasons with kind of the spectacle that we've yeah. been teasing for eight seasons. The 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 downside of that is I think now all these shows feel obliged to deliver that spectacle, you know, right away. Right. And when you really boil down Game of Thrones, and this is why it's fun to talk to talk to you. Um, I mean, we did not approach Game of Thrones as a fantasy epic, certainly not at the beginning. I mean, it was approached much more as a Shakespearean history, mm-hmm. at least in a lot of ways. And that's certainly what I initially was drawn to. And, and in most of the episodes I wrote, tended to live in those spaces you know a little more than the than the than the dragons and the ice zombies and all of that so i think what a lot of the imitators kind of forget is 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 that that kind of thing is is is, is what is what really was the backbone of the show you know i mean it was ultimately just a, a a decent family the starks being thrown into a nest of vipers i mean that's ultimately what the show is you yeah know? and then trying to either if they can survive trying to get you know to reunite and get back to their homeland. It's very simple when you really boil it down. It's a it's the classic quest. Yeah. Reuniting with family and going home wherever home happens to be. Exactly. Uh, um I I love I love of course that there's a there are Shakespearean roots to Game of Thrones. Mm. Um which also suggests that is it possible that Game of Thrones and Rings of Power are completely informed by what you learned being a fan of the reduced Shakespeare company? Well, I mean, look, it, it all comes back to the reduced Shakespeare company. Yeah, uh, th- this is this is my this is my uh, opportunity to just say how tickled I am to be ta- <laughs> talking to you. I I wore out my audio cassettes of the reduced Shakespeare radio show in high school. They were like a constant uh, uh, presence in my in my in my car. <laughs> to, to date this for you, when cars had tape decks, um, <laughs> and I had I had the reduced Shakespeare. Uh, uh, Christmas album and uh, the Christmas album as one of my favorite gags when you're doing the Christmas Carol spoof and and Scrooge says, oh, it's it's either the ghost of Christmas future or Johnny Cash, which I always, <laughs> I always it's the dumbest joke, but I love it. Um, and then I saw you all perform it. I don't know if I would have seen I don't know if you were performing with them at this point, but I saw the Bible show live. Mm um in uh, probably Fairfield Connecticut or 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 thereabouts in in my high school years would you have been touring with the bible show then that probably was me unless i you was taking... read and adam probably right yeah oh yeah. Uh, adam never really performed the bible show so it would have been Matt oh no Broke. okay um yes yes yeah unless i was staying home because we just had our second child you mm. you could have easily seen you probably did in fact see me yeah. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, I I saw that show, and and then one of my classmates from Juilliard performed the original uh, piece uh, in New York in one of the revivals. Oh, um, cool. But yeah, I've been a huge fan for years, and you know, I I, I could I could quote the entire reduced uh, Shakespeare radio show series to you. So this is really uh this is really a treat. Well, I'm I'm flattered by all of that. Um, <laughs> 
I mean, another another thing that I think is a, another wonderful legacy of Game of Thrones is the fact that it gave the BBC the confidence to make the Hollow Crown series. Sure. Oh, I never you thought know? about that, but I love the Hollow. I'm not that just that, that. That was always my dream. It's still a dream of mine. To, I've always wanted to, and it's impossible, and no one would ever try it. But I always wanted to stage, find some theater somewhere that could do this and stage all of the histories but in in historical order and you could have the same actors mm. um cross over from show to show yeah. uh as they aged through the story which they which they sort of attempted to a degree on the hollow crown mm-hmm. more than i think most other productions ever, or films ever had tried which was really fun um but yeah that richard ii in particular uh on the hollow crown with uh wishaw and uh yeah. rory kinnear is just just fantastic definitive in my mind oh yeah absolutely absolutely and um and yeah and and i i'm trying to think of what what histories i ever performed we did richard the second at juilliard because i went to juilliard so i was a a cool experian actor for a while there and until i got wise and became a (laughs) hollywood writer um but uh yeah richard the second we we did at school and um and then i did a tour of richard the third i think those are the only two histories i actually performed in um, but they're they're certainly my favorites. My, my favorite play in any language is Henry the Fourth, part parts one and two. So um, whenever we could go back to that, well, even just subconsciously with with Thrones, we we I think we did. Hi, I'm Jeffrey R. Wilson, author of Shakespeare and Trump, Shakespeare and Game of Thrones, and Richard the Third's bodies from medieval England to modernity. And you're listening to the Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Where can you RSC the RSC? Next month, we'll be performing the complete history of comedy abridged in Indiana and Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. And then we'll be performing the complete history of comedy abridged, appropriately enough, on April Fool's Day, back in our home away from home in Reston, Virginia. We'll follow that up with performances of comedy at the McCarter Theater in Princeton, New Jersey, and then Basalt and Lone Tree, Colorado. Check out the touring page at our website, ReducedShakespeare.com, or our Twitter feed at Reduced for the latest information. Now back to my conversation with screenwriter Brian Cogman. Talk to me a little bit about that journey of wising up and and, and <laughs> being stop being an actor and becoming a Hollywood writer. How did that how did that happen for you and what was the impetus? Well, uh, I mean, the impetus was failing as an actor. Um, no, um, it was it was You mean failing to get work. Failing to get work, yes, of course. Yes. And I I'm joking, but um but yeah, I mean it was I was one of those. I came out of school, and you come out of Juilliard, and your head's pretty big, and you and you know you're being whispered, they're whispering in your ear the whole time. You're the future of the American theater, and um, you come out of there, and and then you quickly realize that maybe two or three of you are the future of, of the American theater, and the rest of you gotta you know figure it out. And uh, I was I t- immediately toured with Shakespeare. I was in a company called the Acting Company. I played Petruchio and toured the country, and that was wonderful. And fantastic. I was like, oh yeah, my god. And that, yeah, that was great, and it was I was probably miscast, but it was it was fun, and we did it. We did a version where Christopher Sly sort of uh, bottom like dreamt himself as Petruchio, which is how short little me got to play, you know, got to play Richard, got to play Howard Keel or Richard Burton, or um, so. So that was a blast. Um, but then it was it was hard to to get work. I basically got a version of you know you're a character actor, and when you're in your forties, you're gonna get tons of work, and I would think, hmm, but I'm. 
I'm 22. Uh, <laughs> what are we going to do? So, um, you know, I, I would, I would work here and there, but, but, uh, it was, it was tough. And, uh, and I never got very good at being an actor. I never got very good at, at the auditioning and the drudgery of that. I, yeah. You sort of have to, you, at best you, you like that. And at, 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 at worst you, you, you don't like it, but you're, but you at least are functional at that part. And that was, that was the, that was the part that I never really could master the, the getting out of my head in, a, in an audition. Once I got the part, I would be, be fine. Yeah. Ironically, now I'm like the best pitcher in town because I am an actor and most writers are, you know, living in caves and, you know, so. <laughs> um, Troll-like uh, figures. Yeah, exactly. So, so I, uh, I started writing just sort of for fun and writing pieces and things for my classmates and my wife and I, my wife's an actor too. And, we moved out to LA just to try it out. And it, we, we came out for pilot season, which is, you know, funny when you don't have an agent, like you come out and say, here it is, here I am. It's pilot season. Yeah. We're all the, we're all the pilots. <laughs> um, and so we, uh, we came out here and, and we were just, you know, take, taking our odd jobs, making ends meet. And I was writing, you know, just for fun, writing scenes and pilots and movies and kind of cultivating that skill sort of on my own without any real training or anything, mainly just being a sponge and watching a lot of movies, which is what I always do. And, um, and, uh, and got to know David Benioff because my wife was uh, nannying for him and David read a pilot that I'd written. And um, I think he was just trying to be nice to the nanny who he quite liked, but was surprised by its quality. At least that's what he says. And Fantastic. it took me under his wing a little bit. And when the time came to need an assistant for when the Thrones pilot was picked up, um, brought me along and, and, I very quickly became kind of the expert on the lore in-house because I devoured the books. And, and again, I think I had a good, I think I had a good affinity for wrapping my head around the very complex mythology because I'm used, I was used to reading Shakespeare and histories where everybody was named George and keeping the characters straight, you know, yeah. uh, George R. R. Martin does the same thing with the Targaryens. They're all named Aemond and Aegon and, uh, you know, they, but he's doing that because he's drawing from history. So I was able to sort of follow all that. And so I automatically was just in all the meetings because I was the only person who kind of could explain this to people. And at this point, the books, they certainly had a cult following, but they weren't household terms, right. a, a Stark or a Lannister or whatever. And before I knew it, I was, you know, I, I mean, I wrote the fourth episode of the first season. They just, you know, they, they, they threw me in to the fire and, and uh, believed in, in me saw something in me that I don't think I'd even seen in myself at that point I was really just thinking this was something to do while I figured out how to be an actor uh and then before I knew it I was you know producing the show and writing the show and that's, that's along with it I mean it was that's crazy incredible that's incredible yeah. that that I mean not only is the, the not only is the nerd clearly strong with you um but, <laughs> yeah thankfully thank god <laughs> but had you had you been a writer at all prior to this or were you just literally putting that knowledge to paper for the first time in writing this spec script i mean i hadn't been a professional writer no i mean i'd been i'd been writing and i'd written scenes and come up i mean i, I i'd written a pilot and i'd taken one ucla extension course that where we were writing scenes but no i mean my first professional script was episode four of game of thrones it, it, it wow. was it was madness um you know and then that led almost immediately to a you know great career writing films and 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 developing other things and and but it was certainly i mean producing that show was 
was film school for me. I mean, it was essentially grad school on a ridiculous scale. Yeah. Um, but the sh- but the 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 nature of producing that show was so different because we were doing something again at the time had not been done on that scale for television. We were also in Belfast, which was sort of a, a new frontier for production then. I mean, they were just opening up and just starting to have a production identity uh, right. there because Northern Ireland was coming out of a decades-long civil war. So yeah. we helped really build an infrastructure there that's still that's still there, and that was really gratifying. Um, so, And David and Dan were, you know, they were um, experienced screenwriters, but um, new showrunners and the show was so huge. The cast was so big. There were so many locations. We we didn't shoot episode by episode. We shot everything like a 10-hour movie all out of order with everybody, right. all the directors working at once. And so the writer, the writer was very empowered on set because only a few of us could even keep the story straight, you know, because we were mm-hmm. shooting that. I mean, you've seen the show. I mean, it's it's dozens of characters and very complex plot lines. And so um we just had a lot of creative. I, I had a lot of creative responsibility, um, and 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 in some cases authority, uh, really early on, just by nature of kind of what we were doing and the fact that we were in Belfast and HBO kind of didn't know what the hell we were. They kind of left us alone. They were concentrating at the time on Boardwalk Empire, so yeah. uh, we kind of just got to we kind of rewrote how to do it and for better or for worse. So uh, it was it was an amazing experience. It was an incredible set of toys to play with for a decade. That's for sure. Well, and what you say about how it was like grad school, I mean, that it, you, you, yeah. I, I do think the best way of learning of, of learning is to learn by doing. And that's frequently Absolutely. what you get to, to do in college. And it seems like you all, mm-hmm. including, including Dan and David, were learning while you were doing while you were creating this thing in order to create this other thing. Yeah. And I, and even, and even the like really experienced directors and producers and staff that we had on the show who, who were all incredible people who directed tons of the best HBO shows, the nature of what this was, was so different that I think they would even say a, a version of the same thing. Like, like, you know, directors who with a shelf full of Emmys that came onto our show had to kind of relearn, teach themselves how to do it differently in order to make our thing. So that was exciting. I mean, it was, and it was happening. So it was such a train that I wasn't even, I almost wasn't even conscious while doing it. You know, it's that thing when you're, when you're young and you're, and you're hungry that, and that was what was fun about it. It felt like school, you know, it felt in the sense that, that the, the doubts and the demons that come when you're older (laughs) aren't aren't really there because you're just, you're, you're not as afraid. It's after success that you become more, more afraid and more aware and uh you know all the pleasures of being young and stupid <laughs> exactly exactly i i i some i long for a 30 year old me sometimes there uh, who didn't you know who didn't know when to keep his mouth shut and all of that um well wh- but yeah what does it mean then that you are now a consulting producer on uh, lord of the rings rings of power well, that's a, that's a very different situation. So when I came back from Thrones, uh, I mean, and especially the final season, which which was, uh, you know, that was ten months of production and and a really grueling shoot. You know, I the that the battle episode that was entirely set at night. I mean, that was months and months of night shoots. We all turned into vampires. It was it was just, you know, um, so we were all really tired i was really tired and and uh and it was just a lot it was a lot after 10 years you know so i i and definitely so, didn't... And, and, and sorry to interrupt but you were sure. in you were in belfast as part of the production crew. oh yeah i was an in set... la oh no 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 i was an on-set producer 
for yeah. every second of I mean, basically we had two main shooting units at all times mm. and i was david and dan were were on one set and i was on the other uh for the entirety of the show and wow. um and that was and that was how it, how it operated basically um so um yeah and that isn't always the case i mean for a lot of shows the writers are kind of kept in la and maybe you might come and produce your episode but um and actually more and more and this is unfortunate more and more the studios aren't wanting to keep the writers on at all for production they mm. they pay them a pittance to write the show and then tell them to fuck off which is really unfortunate and i i, I think that has to change because quality i think the quality of the shows are suffering but that's a whole other tangent but in any event um yeah that was the real job and we wrote everything before we started production so the writing was done uh long before and the and the real doing of it was that's where the producer comes in and then dealing with you know dealing with the actors and the directors and making sure that everything is you know adhering to the vision that we came up with in the room um but with lord of the rings i i came back and i signed a, an overall deal with amazon to develop my own shows and and they just asked if I could come for the first 20 weeks of their writer's room uh, and help help them get it off the ground. So that's why it's a consulting producer. I was just there in the very, very early stages um, with J.D. and Patrick, who are the showrunners and um, uh, a, a kind of a murderer's row of, of writer producers that they gathered at the beginning to help them crack it and come up with sort of a rough idea of the of the series and then a, you know more and then storylines for the first season um so a lot of a lot of what we dreamt up in those early days and and ideas that i pitched are certainly part of the show but i didn't actually write any scripts i left before before scripts were written and and i wasn't i would have loved to have visited set but they were shooting during covid in new zealand so yeah poor bastards were trapped there for years um so it was kind of a wonderful situation I, I four years later i got to go to the premiere and see it and i was you know, kind of bouncing in my seat going well, this is great everybody else around me who had to actually had to make the fucking thing looked exhausted <laughs> i was like hey guys this is awesome well done you know <laughs> um, so i'm very i'm very proud of my very uh minor association with it but um but i would uh i, I want to make clear that it's it's uh, it, it's it is consulting is the appropriate term for sure that's it for this week's reduced shakespeare company podcast except for one more thing which i'll share with you in about 60 seconds so stick around Send us your fantasy tent polls via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com or throw a comment to us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram or on our own actual website, reducedshakespeare.com or visit my website, theshakespeareans.com. Thanks, as always, to Matthew Croak, first of his name, web services by Ginger Power Limited, music by John Weber and GarageBand. Our random fan shout-out this week goes to Jamie Alperovich. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to friend of the pod, Jeffrey R. Wilson, who always brings a bit of academic dignity to the proceedings. And as always, thanks very much to you for listening. Please continue to stay safe, get your boosters, and keep your masks on. I'm Austin Titchener, 839 2517ths of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. To circle back the witcher is on and wheel of time which one of my best friends is the showrunner is is on and interview with the vampire and andor i mean I, yeah we're gonna, i mean it's it's a it's a great time to 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 be a geek and watch tv and 
And and I just hope now we can also leave room for the smaller things as well. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. that's the danger is crowding out some of the other smaller things, you know. But that's, that's not really my purview. Yeah, no, I, I I totally agree that it's it is a golden age for uh, for uh, fantasy geeks because like my Shakespeare, I prefer my fantasy performed to being read. You know, so oh, absolutely, sure. I love sure. watching it rather than reading it. So yeah. I'm I'm thrilled and with all of your work, sir. So thank oh. you, well, thank and you, you you and your geeky friends. <laughs> Much appreciated. <laughs> this podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company, reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less. And so much less. So much less. So much less. So much less. So much less.